My goal at my gym is to make it the most innovative place in the world. You just dropped a big vision statement <laughs> on me. You said the most innovative place in the world. Yes, yes. Now, that's, that's that right. sounds like a fun place to be. Absolutely. Also a little terrifying. My gym, you know? I mean, <laughs> a, little, a little terrifying. But yeah. it, Before you tell me all the reasons why we can't, try to imagine how we can. Start with yes. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back. I've got a fun one coming your way today with Dr. Janet Ahn, who is the President and Chief Behavioral Science Officer at MindGem. She leverages her behavioral science expertise to lead MindGem's global product innovation, research and development, and digital solutions expansion, including topics such as how leaders can effectively manage teams in a hybrid workplace, organizational responsibility for individual employee well-being, management and leadership development, and of course, diversity, equity, and inclusion. She's a sought-after speaker on subject matter and, and subject matter expert at both academic and industry conferences. Her work has been featured in various media outlets such as Axios, Women's Health Magazine, NPR, American Educator, Business Insider, CBS, and USA Today. And just to cherry on top of all of her amazing credentials here, she has a bachelor's degree from Barnard College and a master's and PhD from NYU. Janet, welcome to lead the team. <laughs> Hi, Ben. So happy to be here. Man, I could, and there are even more credentials I didn't even cover. <laughs> this is like, but I guess when you're, when you're known as Dr. Janet on, and you have a chief behavioral science officer, in addition to president title, there's a lot it's of heavy. I know it's heavy. There's a lot going on there's there. A lot going on. <laughs> so there are so many cool things about your background. Uh, it's it's going to be hard to narrow the scope a little bit. But one of the things that jumped out at me in reviewing is you did work under Dr. Carol Jweck's $2.5 million National Science Foundation grant. We talk a lot about like growth mindset. I'm a big fan of, of Carol Jweck. What did you discover and what was it like, like working with that? Yeah, uh, that research, again, was a line of growth mindset, but with a twist. So that mm -hmm. one was really fun. So that was my postdoc, um, post uh, my PhD. And that one was with uh, a partnership at Columbia and, and Carol, Dweck, uh, Carol Dweck's lab. And it was about really understanding how scientists struggled and how that mm -hmm. helps with their persistence. The struggle stories of scientists make for better motivators and, and, and modeling growth mindset, essentially. So how mm -hmm. failures really allow for you to how that plays a role in growth mindset, essentially. It was a really cool piece of work. Um, so we wow. found that in our experiments that if you share struggle stories and, and stories of failure, um, how that actually transmits growth mindset into your students, um, into the learners of the classroom. 
And how mm. and why that does is because of the sense of um, transparency. It's a sense of students said um, they felt like they could really relate to even scientists like Albert Einstein. Like, so wow. they uh, no, normally, you know, mm. like with scientists, it's this fixated mindset of you're a genius. I'm not a genius. So I'm not a scientist. That's a vicious cycle. But when Albert Einstein shows that he actually struggled to get to where he was in creating relativity theory, the students actually feel like, you know what? It's okay to struggle. It's okay mm -hmm. to not always get it immediately. I can work through it. And that was the whole research um, line. Wow. Yeah. So, so powerful. Yeah. And it's so easy to take that to every leader listening right now. Yeah. Like, are you sharing your struggle stories? Because leaders yeah. get put up on this pedestal and Absolutely. they seem unrelatable sometimes. Well, unless I'm really winning at everything, if I'm batting a perfect percentage every time, I can't, yeah. you know, I, I don't even want to, like, I can't relate to my boss and or, yeah. or a leader. And by struggle, sharing your struggle stories, it, it allows them to develop more of a growth mindset. That, yeah, that's really it's powerful. But I'd say, you know, with leaders, so we try to translate this in organizational leaders, but the first thing you get with organizational leaders is resistance because they don't want to be exploited or exposed. It, once you know my mistakes, then you're going to think less of me. That's the well, assumption. Think I'm weak. You think well, I'm, I'm weak, not a leader well, worth not, following. I'm not able to hack it, right? I, I can't do the job. But it's um, what I love about that research we did with uh, Carol Dweck was um, if you balance not just the emphasis on struggle, but the action sequences you took to overcome the struggle, that's what makes for a great story. So it's not just about sitting there about, you know, kind of having a victim's mindset of all these terrible things happened and, and I failed at everything and I'm the worst. It's not that. It's I struggled and I failed. But what are the action sequences I followed to overcome? That's what people are looking for. All right. So <laughs> making and making that personal. Now, what is your favorite leader struggle or personal struggle story to share with your team? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd say um, one of the first struggles of, of, you know, being this heavy label carrier, <laughs> just chief science officer and president, all this was a, uh, a strong sense of um, imposter syndrome. Mm. By by nature, I'm an academic. I didn't come from 14 different executive leadership roles prior to my life here. Um, I I'm an academic. I was on a tenure track professor, you know, professor hot, um, and I I didn't know politics. I don't know what industry politics are like. You know, I I'm like, <laughs> look, I just came to educate people uh, and, and train mm. students. Um, what is this concept of revenue growth and profit? And what is mm. all this, right? It's a new language. Um, but when you take on these heavy um, titles of chief science officer and then president at that, that's a commercial hat and that's a product hat and that's a lead science hat. Um, there's a lot of weight of responsibility that comes with that when you feel, wow, I, I didn't come ready for this. I didn't come ready for this. Um, but I think that, I, I, and I have to say, Ben, I'm not done with the struggle. I'm still going through it. I'm still quite figuring it out. Um, and I'm still leading. I, but I'd say the one thing about my leadership is I always um, lead with a lot of integrity. Um, so mm -hmm. what you see is what you get. I'm not trying to pull a fast one. I think it's because I don't know how to play the leadership games. Really? Like, I think it's just, I don't know how to you do the been politics. Taught all the games that I haven't play. been taught a bit about really how to manage when in the counts. right way. Yeah, I just yeah, I just yeah. kind of lead like, hey, here's where we're at. 
and here and what's the solution to getting out you so, know and that's that's as, it, as simple as it gets yeah so when your team yeah you lead, here's what you just shared with us yeah what <laughs> i'm really probably heard a version of it but when you say they're hearing it for the first time what is your hope that that will instill in, in their mind, mindset don't be afraid because just because you weren't, you didn't feel you had all the right equipment doesn't mean you're not capable. And I think I come from the background of academia. Plus, I'm not, you know, I I don't have all the kind of equipment of what it looks like to be a leader, maybe um, racially or gender wise or whatever, you know, what have you. It's just don't be afraid to try and give it your best. And I think that's what I definitely have going for myself. And that's what I hope they can go for. It's the risk of just trying, just try before you can say you can't. Sounds like a growth mindset. And that Carol Dweck <laughs> will probably give you a high five right now. Possibly. Yes. I would <laughs> hope as a student, she would. <laughs> well, all right. So I, I was going to go down a different road, but while we're on this, um, mind jump listeners may or may not know mind jump, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, consulting it's leadership development but with a real focus on the science side of it yes what in just a nutshell what do leaders listening today need to know primarily about mind jump and why it's a little different there yeah um i'd say with mind gym is there are so many organizational problems related to um human capital management, right? That's the broad basis of it. So mm-hmm. performance issues, diversity, equity, inclusion concerns, where do you start? Where do you start with even trying to solve those really complicated problems? Mind Jim would say it starts with science. Mm-hmm. Start with science. So um, I'd say that the Mind Jim mission is um, we help people change, um, think and behave differently so they can get uh, more out of life and get, give back to others. What that means to me is help you work more efficiently at work. So then you could have more capacity at life. Mm. That's mind gym. So oh, nice. when, yeah. And so when, you know, you go, you end a full day of work and you get home and you're like, I'm exhausted. I'm just depleted. I have nothing else to give. And yet you have two kids watching you. You have your spouse, you have all the chores, you have dinner to get ready. Well, where do you get that extra energy? Well, mind gym helps you not lose. Um, that capacity during the workday so you can give back more to your life and to others around you. That's mind gym. And it uses science as a basis for doing that. Well, cool. Well, (laughs) it's nice to start with the science because it probably gives people, especially leaders of organizations, warm fuzzies to start in science. (laughs) But we all, (laughs) but I suspect you mentioned family, you know, it has a real yeah. soft side to it. You know, it, yes, yeah. it kind of speaks to both sides of your mind. Absolutely. Um, for the maximum gym workout, the mind gym. Exa- that's yeah. right. <laughs> both sides. Well, all right. So exactly. maybe we'll come back around to that, but your background so darn interesting. I want to, I want to dig into this as a first generation college student from an immigrant family, maybe share, share with us a little bit about what that was like and how has that shaped your own yeah. personal leadership journey? I think, um, well, so my parents immigrated from South Korea um, and I was born and raised in New York um, and they were highly educated professionals in South Korea. My dad was a veterinarian and my mom was a chemist. 
but they lost and they graduated from Seoul National University, like, you know, kind of the Harvard equivalent of Korea. Um, but when they came, they lost all of that. It didn't transfer. Um, so they had to start from scratch uh, when they came. And there was a lot of um, racial discrimination we went through, um, poverty we went through as a family. My dad was a yellow cab driver um, in Manhattan for about 40 years. Um, and it was not, we, it wasn't easy um, because we didn't have models and we didn't have a network. So all our family was in Korea. Nobody was here. So we had to really start from scratch. And it was a story of struggle, I'd say. So I'd say in terms of how it influenced me was I had to find resources that didn't exist and I still had to make it out. So I didn't have social networks to teach me this is how you apply to college or this is why college is important. Everything, um, there was no tacit or implicit way of learning. Everything was effortful and had to be done intentionally. You're not surrounded, even my parents are not English speakers. So I wasn't even surrounded by language that could make it easier. I, none, none of it was easy. And then the resources were lacking. So how do you figure that out when there's not a lot of resources around? Um, and I think that to me always taught me how to be incredibly resourceful and think outside of the box and never feel I can't. I never had a moment of this is impossible, even though it looked it, always tried anyway. Wow. So in that poverty and that and that huge challenge and that huge transition, was there something that your parents said to you or they had, or your parents had heard, what was it that allowed them to tap into that, that level of resourcefulness? Yeah. My, there were two things my parents both said um, pretty regularly to me and it sticks with me. My dad kept saying to me, um, it it is so simple. There's nothing like, I'm going to say that you're going to be like, Oh my God, never heard this. In, in in anyone's lives. I mean, it's so simple, but I what it meant was different. So my dad kept saying, set high goals. Um, and that was because setting, and because as a PhD researcher of goals and mindset and, and motivation, I learned later, setting high goals, what it does is um, it actually instills faith in yourself. It's a sense of self-efficacy that you believe you can set high goals. And so my dad was telling me to do it because he believed I could, but he wanted most importantly for me to believe I could. So he wanted to instill confidence early on. Um, so and then so my just mom, by yeah. setting a higher goal, you're somehow cementing that belief that it's attainable and you that you, can't, you can do exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. But you have to have the, com- the so confidence comes with being able to achieve goals, right? So you have to keep setting them as you keep achieving them. So that's that's the that's the cycle. Every time you succeed at doing so, you keep setting another one. And that was that cycle of um, kind of wins. It's a cycle of wins, right? Um, and my mom kept one thing. You know, I would say, I mean, you know, maybe not too regularly, but regularly enough, I would just say it's just too hard, and I can't. And I would kind of say to her, why does dad keep telling me to set high goals? It's impossible. <laughs> and I would pit them against each other. You know, I'm like, it's impossible. Why could he, why does he say that? You know, and my mom just kept saying, and it was always in Korean, um, but it translates to wait till the end. Because in her eyes, it was just have the faith that if you keep this path, 
you'll get there. It's a story of persistence. It's mm. a story of perseverance. Um, and that to me, with those two, I kind of kept moving despite Beautiful. all the kind of um, challenges and, and you know, difficulties faced each time. Wow. I love it. <laughs> and, and they are simple, but they're memorable. They're very simple. And yeah. you can apply them. I think feel like sometimes we get to, we get so darn complicated on our sayings, or whatever. We, <laughs> we did because they just feel good to say, but we can't actually. But they're not actually actionable. <laughs> and the idea of setting high goals, um, and I, I like that too because a lot of times people are so focused on the goals that they're maybe setting at work through their annual review process or with their team, yeah. but they don't always think about their own career goals. And, uh, that, and, and personal goals. And so that can be a great way to round that out and wait yeah. till the end, just, just keep going. Uh, you know, a friend of mine loves to say like you, like you don't get beat unless you give up. If you just keep starting, mm -hmm. if you or, or yeah. just keep continuing and you keep pressing on and yeah. you don't stop, then you don't, you don't lose. So what, Absolutely. what but I, I can definitely understand how those two were so helpful in developing that that yeah. inner resilience and resourcefulness that you absolutely that you mentioned. Now you also say that you're an extreme introvert <laughs> that presents as an extrovert. Yeah. And so I'm an extreme extrovert that presents as an extreme extrovert. <laughs> My wife's an introvert, and uh, sometimes it, it puts creates some interesting situations and conversations. Yes, I bet. Uh, <laughs> what's your so I'm really curious about this. So, so tell me about this. Yeah, I, I think. Um, well, I, you know, again, I'm an academic by nature. I'm not, you know, the way I am. I like to study. I like to read. I like to think. I like to reflect. I, I observe a lot and I, and I analyze a lot. Um, but that takes time for things, to, and I need quiet to do that. Mm. Um, but when there's a lot of people interaction, it drains me. It's actually really draining. So I always tell my husband, I have a social quota. Like we're done for like, we, we hung out with friends this weekend. I'm not seeing anyone for six months. Like that's <laughs> how extreme it is. And he's like, and he's an extreme extrovert. He's like, mm -hmm. no, we got to meet up with the, you know, this family and that family. And I'm like, no, 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 six months. They're like I, I got to I got to regenerate myself. Like I, I'm so tired, um, but I present myself as an extrovert. I mean, my roles suggest I have to be when you're leading teams. There's a level of you have to learn how to deal with people on the poor public forum, right? You have to know how to engage at that level. Um, but in the end, I just want to read and and for things to be quiet <laughs> and be left alone. I know it sounds terrible, but so, really... does it? Well, to me, understanding <laughs> introverts a little bit, it does not sound terrible. Uh, it is a different way of of renewing our, you have to understand how we renew ourselves and your husband's an extrovert Absolutely. like me. We know that being around people often gives us a boost of energy that, yeah. that helps us with our more quiet time. And it's a, it's often the reverse. If you're introvert, you re, you appreciate that quiet time and it helps yeah. you amp up for those times when you need to be more extroverted. That's absolutely right. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So what is, um, 
And it's interesting though. I, I think the the challenge is there's the personal side of it, but as a president, people need to hear from you. They need yeah. to see you. And you probably feel that like that's part of, of the role. What is What's your approach or process to bringing that communication side, that yeah. connection side, but also making sure that you have the energy that you need to keep going? I think so as president, they need to hear, but what they need to hear is help you solve a problem. Hmm. So they don't need you to do, you know, kind of the confetti work and the excitement, like that's nice. And that, and I can present that when in that experience, um, mm -hmm. they want the energy, they want the enthusiasm. That's all nice. But what they really want is help me solve this problem. At this level, you don't get the problems that are just, you know, what they can solve at this problem. Things got escalated for a reason. <laughs> that's what people need. They want to know what's the future mm -hmm. strategy. What's the three, five year roadmap. What's the business plan. What's, and, and how do I present that to clients? And clients have a really tricky way of, um, you know, the clients have really tricky problems. So what's this one going to look like? That's what they want. They want you to help them solve a problem. And I think the way I interact with that is exactly give me the time, like give me the information I need. So I don't need mm -hmm. you to prep me for an hour on this problem. Send me over the document so I can read. Let mm. me read. Give me the time. Give me the time to read. What is a problem? Who is a client? What is your problem? Who you know? What, what who are the people concerned involved? How, how what are the you know kind of contingencies on this? And then let me think about it. And then let's meet. That's how I like to do it. So when it comes to tricky problem cases or their cases, give me what I need to review first, so I understand. I can think. I can plug it into kind of my mindset of. Oh, that's how it could affect this. Let me kind of think it through on my own before we come together and kind of you you challenge me on the spot what to figure out. And I could do that too, but I'll be a better thinker for you if you give me the moment just to think on my own. I, Jenna, I, I love that. And it's your example is so important, I think, for our listeners to plug into because first of all, you've done the work to know that you are an introvert. It's amazing to me. I mean, it's like you and I throw it around like everyone knows about this on themselves, about themselves, but they don't always have that familiarity. So right. understand and then begin to engineer your workday so you can perform at a high level. And exactly. Um, I take it you are not a verbal processor. No, right? Not not for yeah. all. Yeah, right, not, not for some problems, not all. Maybe yeah. some problems, but you prefer yeah. to. Like you get the emails, you get the data, you're like pouring through it. Exactly. Let me read, prepared. let me think. Exactly. Love it, love it. Exactly. And some people do it. I do that some, but as you can probably tell from a podcasting standpoint, I'm a verbal processor. And sometimes this annoys the absolute not <laughs> out of my family. They don't process information well, and they certainly don't want to hear me processing it. That's why I'm on podcasting. That's why I have a team of people that are on my team. That, that do it you know what it has been? It, it's because um, it's the pressure I'm trying to relieve to solve in the moment when I just need the spotlight off to think on my own for mm -hmm. about 10 seconds. So when I'm a verbal processor or if it wants to be done verbally, I feel the pressure to show up when I can't. I'm distracted by it. I need the pressure off to think. And sometimes you sometimes you just have to have the pressure. It just is the way it is. 
Um, but for the most part, give me the agenda, give me the notes, give me the debrief, let me think. And that is annoying for some people because it forces them to work a bit harder before you get in the room. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this is kind of the way I have to go about some uh, of it, not all. Yeah. Do you, uh, how have you communicated that to the organization or yeah. to your team? What do you, do you like, a, like I, I know some leaders have a, SOP for working with me and some will say, well, Ben, that is way too egotistical. Like, don't I'm like, I do that. We have someone join the team. I'm like, this is how it, it works best. You get yeah. the best out of me. This is how we operate. But, but how do you go about communicating? I, I mean, logistically, sometimes it's just easier through my EA to kind of schedule that. Mm-hmm. And then upfront, mm-hmm. she would kind of chase Come. Janet block time to review the notes. Please send it over. But I, that's what I shared. Um, but I, but I, but I think I'm pretty clear too, um, about next time, let's say we didn't do that and we just kind of did it on the spot, but I didn't feel like I, um, gave the best answer next time. I'd say, let's come prepared this way. And so I would just say next time, you know, and then they kind of get used to working with me. I think honestly, Ben, it takes a bit of time for people to learn how to work together, including myself, you know, so it takes time for me to work with my team and work what works best. So we just kind of try in that way. Yeah, I, I just love that. I just think it's a, such an important thing for leaders to consider. Your team has their work preferences. They may yeah. not even be aware of what they are. Yes. And to be patient <laughs> and to, to go about this process and really Absolutely. start to find that cohesion. It also means that when you work with someone for a while and you figure out each other's work style and it's going so darn well, the cost of turnover... I know it'd be more expensive it's than painful. people even realize yes. what, how are you thinking about employee turnover and, and the cost these days? I mean, Ben, that's like the number one problem with our clients. And even we, we experience that pain, right? I think it's gotten a lot better than, you know, the past year where we had the great resignation or the great reshuffle, call it whatever, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still there, right? There's, it's still, um, there's a residual pain of it. Um, I'd say for me personally, I mean, this is less of me talking to clients. This is me just as a leader. Um, if you don't have your people, there's, it's hard to really work through it. If you don't have that loyalty, if you don't have, it's not, a, it's not always about compensation. It's not always, it, it, that matters. Money matters on the table, but you have to have that loyalty. People need to want to follow you, not because they have to, not because they're paid to, not because, you know, they have no other choice or they're scared. They can't follow you out of fear or coercion. They have to want to. Mm. And I think breeding that sense of loyalty is what I try to do. And how do you do that? I mean, that's with, again, that win-win cycle. I have to win their trust. They have to see me. But I have to be honest when I'm when I'm not making all mm. the best decisions and, and acknowledge it, but try you know, to make the better one next time. And I think that's what people respect over and over again. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's just, it's not easy. Turnover is not easy. Um, and it is a reality, but people matter so much. Um, if it's, if you can't, you can't run that ship without really amazing loyal employees. Yeah. I had this conversation with someone the other day and loyalty came up and they were saying how they don't really feel loyal to the company, but that. They felt like their boss had gone out of their way so much for them mm. that they felt 
felt loyal to the individual. And I thought that was really, I don't think the person meant to drop a profound nugget on me at the time. I was like, you know, there's something to that. How do you think about loyalty from an organization standpoint versus a, a a president? An individual? Like, Mm -hmm. well, I think as a president though, I represent the organization, right? So I, I am a representation of that brand. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think so you certainly, as as president, I can't go against the brand. Like you can't be separate from it. Um, but I'd say as a president, you could help garner that loyalty a bit more, right, and make it easier for the brand. So I view it as highly, um, again, mind your mission to give back more to others. You know, by so you could get more out of life. It's if you get more out of life and you give back. That is a brand I personally believe, and I think people believe that about me. Mm. And so when you can stand for a brand that you feel bought into, it's much easier to then help the brand, right? And, and I think that when people feel disingenuous, that you're just doing the president mm-hmm. hat and the role, but you don't quite believe in the brand, they can tell people are not stupid. You know, people are quite smart. Like, yeah, they, they can tell not, when you're not, not authentic. Congruent, they can exactly, tell. Yeah. exactly. And I think for me, that's easy um, at MindGym. But I can certainly see if it isn't as easy, how hard that is to grow the brand loyalty or just the company loyalty in general. What's the one trait you wish you could instill on every employee and why is it so important? Um, the one trait, you know, it's, it's I'd say um, taking that sense of um, start with yes. Start hmm. with yes. Um. I think when I think about where I am at MindGym and my goal at MindGym is to make it the most innovative place in the world. I have to think outside of the box for it. And I have to think of something, stuff that doesn't make sense sometimes to try that or stuff that's hard to get it there. I want my employees to start with yes before you say no, that we can't do that. And you know, that's not going to work. And that's just, that, or that's, that's going to fail scope on this project or that's out of <laughs> scope or I can't, you know, yeah. or that's too expensive before you tell me all the reasons why we can't try to imagine how we can hmm. start with yes. And then let's try before you say all the roadblocks of no's. That's one piece I would love because then I feel we can we can move it. We can move that needle faster if I started with a yes. So you just dropped a big vision statement <laughs> on me. You said the most innovative place in the world. Yes, yes. Now, that's, that's that right. sounds like a fun place to be. Absolutely. Also a little terrifying. Him, you know, I mean, <laughs> a, little, a little terrifying, but yeah. it, and exciting. So. What I mean that that's a huge bold vision. That's right. And what are you doing as a leader to instill or I guess communicate that vision in a way that doesn't just blow people's minds inside the organization? Yeah, absolutely. But still keeps them striving for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think Ben, the the dynamic, and I and I do that at MindGym. And I say that more regularly than you think. Um, but it's it, how I do that. I think it scares people when it's too broad. So scare, so, the, so the thing about being the most innovative place in the world, dropping visions like that, it's scare, It's fun because it's inspiring. Like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? And how big can it be? 
what does it look like? It, it's inspiring, but at the same time, you just said it, it, there's this fear associated with it. Like, oh God, that's so big. That's when it's too broad. So how do I break down the innovation in ways that are digestible, in ways that you feel is doable, optimal, that is operationalized? That's my job, right? Mm -hmm. To bring you on, but to still keep the excitement of, but it's going to be the most innovative place in the world, right? And it's got to look achievable. It's got to look achievable or else it looks scary. Set it high looks goals. scary. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Goes back like, to that. Dad, I'm doing Full you circle. proud. You you said high goals. <laughs> I'm setting becoming the most innovative place in the world, which sounds good. It's, it sounds good. So, so so yeah, you're you're breaking it down into tangible things for the people. Like That's okay, right. this is our path. These are our steps to, to yeah. uh, get there. And yeah. what kind of response are you getting uh, from that? You get the mixture, you know, you get the mixture, <laughs> you get, I mean, for the most part, I'd say um, one of the things that my gym, we do really well is energize behind our uh, culture's purpose. Hmm. That is number mm -hmm. one where, you know, in these times of turnover, Ben, why people leave outside of comp and salary and pay rises is lack of purpose. That's what people are leaving for. They don't feel connected. They don't see the purpose. They don't feel like, well, what's the point? What's the grand? And that's where we win at mind gym purpose all the time. We get that right really well. Um, so you get a, you so you have that group um, of people who are like, I get the purpose. Um, but I think I still have to work there along with our other leaders on how to get there, the steps. We paint the pictures, but it has to keep getting clearer. And then that's my job. And that's what every day I have to get better at. Cool. No, that's a great, great advice for leaders. I mean, no one's going to leave mind jump for lack of purpose when yeah. you're, when you're getting, you're communicating that vision. And I like the fact that you're still communicating it every day. It's part of your, you see it's part of your role. I think leaders, when they, sometimes they cast a vision, they forget, they have to keep repeating it over and over because the mundane and the daily grind, people forget about it yeah. and, it, and it becomes just a job. And so giving them the higher people purpose, need the Exactly. It's the clear vision, right? And it's a consistent vision. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's much easier for, easier for leaders to be consistent and have clarity. If you personally believe in it, it goes back to what you really identify with. And I think that's really much easier to do if you believe in it yourself. What are three success strategies that every employee needs to be keeping in mind right now? <sighs> three success. Oh gosh, Ben, these are great questions. Um, I think um, always be ready to, um, to um, ask questions where you don't feel clear, like be ready to challenge. Um, so employees should be asked to do that because how do you get to the most innovative place if your people are not challenging? Um, so I think challenge is one. Um, I think another one is in this time more than others, um, be patient when it's not right. You know, I think there's a lot of things um, leaders are trying to do and they're under a lot of stress to do, but be patient, you know, reasonably patient, you know, reasonably. Um, and then, I, I mean, and then three, take initiative. Um, what can you do to help make that vision clearer and how to make it better? What can you do? What is your personal initiative in this? Um, and then that ownership is something all employees can do and take. So starting to, starting to wind the interview up today, yeah. Janet, what what's your parting thought for our listeners? 
Um, I think we're all united um, right now in times of struggle. It's a, it's a strange time. You know, we have a uh, weird economic things, ha- you know, downturns and um, the world seems a bit fuzzy in many ways. Um, but I'd say the parting um, piece I'd, I'd say here is um, um, just stay the course, you know, stay the course, do the right thing um, by your people, do the right thing that has integrity for yourself and stay the course. That's what I would say. And stay the course sounds a lot like mom's advice. <laughs> to wait, wait to the end. Keep waiting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I changed it up. You know, it's got to sound a little I love bit. It. Can't be completely plagiarized, Ben. <laughs> Sorry, mom. You got your, you got your credit in. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, it was yeah, such a cool interview. And I love when we get to get to come full circle on it because it has such a nice connection and sort of ties it up. Janet, thank you for coming on and providing such a cool perspective on this. And uh, can't wait to see what you and your team do next. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.